Hello and welcome to the Magic Musicals and Theatre Podcast. And today I'm talking to David Baddiel all about his West End show, My Family, not the sitcom, and lots of other stuff as well. Well, um, in the studio, I have David Baddiel with me. Um, welcome to the Magic Musicals and Theatre podcast. Thank you very much, Alice. Uh, now, we're fresh, both of us fresh mm. as a daisy oh, yes, <laughs> from the so. Olivier Awards. Yes, I um, don't normally do big partying uh, anymore. I used to do quite a lot of it, but now I'm, I'm too old is the principal mm. reason. Also, I don't drink. Now, when I say I don't drink... People think, oh, clearly he was an alcoholic, had a terrible problem. But in fact, no, I just decided to stop drinking about six or seven months ago because I thought, you know what, I'm not enjoying the drinking thing anymore. Mm. I think my body has decided that's it. But I had one off, uh, I had one at the Olivier's and uh, it was a mistake. I was just, it? <laughs> yeah, it was. Just, it just made me exhausted. Well, and, you needed a drink after uh, yeah. not presenting the award for dance. I presented the award for choreography and yes. then I also lost the award uh, for Best Entertainment and Family. Which yeah, but you n- lost it to an amazing production. I did, but the, so. I mean, there's no doubt, question that the Red Shoes is the better ballet of the two. <laughs> there's absolutely no doubt about it. Anyway, you're, but you're, you're here because yeah. you have a show running in the it's, West End. I do, and, yes. Uh, and uh, unusually, actually, uh, for a stand-up to be nominated at all for the Yes, DVDs. Yes, well, that's part of the sort of issue, part of what's good about it, and, and in a way not so good about it. What's brilliant about it is the nomination of my show, I think, uh, was essentially a crowbarring in of it because they don't have a stand-up uh, comedy section, one-man, one-woman show section. They don't have that. Um, and so I guess at some level I can take comfort from the fact that they thought it was good enough to force into a category. But at the same time, then what happens is that, you know, it is silly to try and compare uh, the Red Shoes or Peter Pan at the National and Cinderella to well, my show. Of, it's, it's so different. To yeah, it's impossible. I so, think the criteria so I, is that you have to have a show in the same theatre for a certain length of time. And most stand ups don't do that, do they? Right. Most stand ups are well, moving around. You have to have a run for 60 nights, I think. Or yeah, something but to I'm, be. Bill Bailey's been in the West End. I remember seeing Eddie Izzard in the 90s with a brilliant show that he did uh, at the Aldwych, I think. I mean, stand-ups do do that Mm. Uh, and the other thing that is slightly weird about it is uh, stand-ups of course do shows that are not just you know men and women telling jokes you know there are lots of shows like mine which are storytelling and which do have sad moments in them as well as funny moments or whatever so the expansion of the form means that theatre sort of does need to take notice of it I think yeah, and I, I think it's great, actually, because it, it isn't, as you said, it isn't just stand-up. Mm. It's like when Dawn French does her one yeah. show. It's not just stand-up. Yeah. It's actually incredibly moving, I think, because I think people get very involved with comedians as people because you're essentially yourself. Well, no, I'm more than essentially. I mean, I've always tried very hard, I think, and it takes a long time to do this, weirdly, but I think I've always been interested in being myself on stage, and I would say that's partly because I never had the talent to be like Steve Coogan or whatever. I can't be a whole different character. I'm not a very good actor. I'm good at one thing, really, which is being myself on stage or on camera or whatever, and... In this show, I've taken that about as far as I can because it's about my parents and very deeply goes into the weird stuff that made me who I am, all the sort of really quite bad parenting that made me who I am. It's very dependent on people authentically believing David Baddiel is being David Baddiel here. And you talk about how it affected... I mean, one of the things that I know that you talk about is your mother. Yeah. And your, and your mother, who, who was a refugee from Nazi Germany. Yeah. And then when you were... 
How old were you when your mother started her affair with a golfing memorabilia? Yes, yeah. Uh, I'd say I first. Well, I certainly uh, when she started it, I was probably quite young and not aware that that's what it was. But by the time I was thirteen or fourteen, and she was. One of the things that the show is very keen on, making my mother was very proud of her affair. My mum felt that having an affair was glamorous and that the man that she was having an affair with was, in her mind, a kind of superstar, even though he was a golfing memorabilia salesman. But in my mum's imagination, and he is quite dishy, I would say. Uh, You know, he had a beard and a pipe and everything. Um, Is, I mean, is he still around? uh, Well... That I absolutely don't know. He was around uh, when my mum died because I wrote to him um, because I I wanted to. I I wanted to say, uh, you should know my mum died. She was, of course, in love with you her whole life, I said. Uh, And he, in fact, wrote back not referring at all to that thing that I'd said. He just ignored it, which is, uh, I talk about in the show and you have to come and see the show to see what I make of it. Uh, But, uh, I mean, it's partly, I think, about a different generation of men who don't talk about that stuff um but i think yeah i was probably by the time i was a teenager i was not only well aware of it i was making jokes about it it was it had gone through whatever damage it might have caused and into comedy quite early on and did that affect your relationships in the future in terms of trusting people no i don't that's a very good question uh and it's not something in 10 years of therapy i think ever came up um i think that i it depends what you mean by trust you see because i Although I've always been monogamous in my life, I don't believe in monogamy. I think monogamy is clearly not the way we're meant to live our lives. Now, I think it is the easiest way in a relationship in which you love the other person to be, but I don't believe in it. So, for example, when people say the word cheat, I don't use the word cheat. I think whenever people talk to me, whenever the tabloids say X or Y is a love rat or a cheat, Mm. I think, no, no, that person is bad at monogamy, which we think everyone has to be good at, but they're just bad at monogamy. So I don't... And this might be to do with my mum, because I absolutely don't judge her. And if you, come, if you come and see the show, you'll see it's a massive celebration of some level of the mad way in which she conducted this affair. I don't have judgment about that. So, and you didn't so feel when you say you don't trust people, I wouldn't think of it like that. So you didn't feel that she was betraying your father? Uh, well, I guess I didn't. That's very complicated because I talk a lot about my dad in the show and I talk about my dad's dementia and the whole show at some level yeah. is about memory and what people remember and, you know, I talk quite a lot about my dad and the fact that in as far as I can make out, despite despite my mother really, really broadcasting this affair, because she was very proud of it, he somehow managed not to notice it. <laughs> right? Uh, and that's kind of, and for me, all that has become comic, you see. And by the time it becomes comic, I can't see what she did as a betrayal. For me, there's always a beauty to something that's funny. Yeah, and I suppose if she was open about it, yeah. then then the, the whole secrecy yeah. thing wasn't happening and therefore it doesn't feel... Well, it's also part and parcel of the show because when I first start talking about my mum's affair, which is sort of halfway through the first half, I can tell there's some discomfort in the audience and then gradually, 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 they completely accept the fact that my mum would have liked nothing more than for me to be telling people right. about this affair. So she, she didn't mind the scandal in the local community. She didn't... My mum would not have perceived she it. She loved as well. it. Like, I'll tell you a story. I, my, my older brother is in the show on film telling this story, because I use film and whatever, and I say, if you, if you want to know how uh, keen my mum was for people to know, here's my older brother, and he tells a story about how 
uh, he had a girlfriend called Tracy who had never met my mother. He went to see my mother at her golf shop in Grey's Antique Market because she turned our life over to golf, kind of as a way of worshipping this man, although he himself was a bit annoyed about it because it meant that she had set up a rival business. <laughs> anyway, he, he took Tracy down to meet uh, my mum, and my mum mentioned this guy's name and then said to Tracy, who she'd never met before, my lover of 20 years, and then turned back to my brother as if nothing had happened. <laughs> She was very keen for people to know about it. Yeah, that's. I feel sort of uh, guilty by implication that I like golf, and it's making me feel guilty <laughs> no. about the whole thing, the whole golf thing. There's a now. lot about golf in that. So if you it's like, making me feel really bad. You haven't seen it, Alice, have you? No, I haven't, no, and I can't you wait have to, to see come, it. Because and honestly, if you like golf, there's a lot about golf I'm, in my show. Well, I'm, I'm booking my tickets because <laughs> I know when I have heard wonderful reports, and I know that, and I love stuff that is funny and and moving and hits you. I mean, you know, just complete comedy sometimes just leaves me cold. But when I think it's really truthful and moving, yeah, no, it's. And, uh, uh, I mean, it's. And, I, I do really like to stress that the show is funny and there's laughter all the way through but the laughter seems to be added to by the fact that people feel the reality and feel the poignancy of it I mean the fact that my mum is dead and died in 2014 does add a kind of enormous poignancy to it even when people are really really laughing I can feel that and of course, you're not just a performer. You've also had this amazing success uh, writing novels. Mm. Uh, how did that start then? Writing novels? Uh, well I'll tell you the truth actually uh, because that's all I do is one of the things is, is that I am unable not to tell the truth. It's, and that's not even a moral thing. That is for me just a sort of, you know, it's virtually an OCD thing. Apologies to anyone who's got OCD. But that's sort of how it feels to me. I, I just have to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And the truth with novels is that uh, Rob Newman, who I used to be in a double out with, mm. had written a novel. And me and him were, at the time were being very courted by journalists asking us lots of questions. And one of them asked me a question. He said, Rob's written a novel. Are you going to write a novel? Uh, and I said, yeah, I'm sure I will. Um, and then I got loads of uh, journal- lots of publishers saying, where's this novel that you said you're right? And I hadn't written one. And then I thought, oh, well, I'd better write one. <laughs> better so, write it. so I did. And then I wrote four adult novels. And now I mainly write kids' novels. And Yes. And, and one of them was for... Um... National Book Day, wasn't it? Well, that for was, World Book Day. World well, what, Book Day. Yeah, you were asked to write the book for World Book Day. I that's did, a I, big honour. It was an honour. I wrote. That's a novella, in fact. Mm. Uh, that was uh, it's only thirty thousand words. Or yes, that's right. That's called the boy who would do what, what he liked, uh, and uh, that I like that book very much. It's no longer available because they only print a hundred thousand copies, and they went. Do they? Yeah, and that's it. That's it. Yeah, you can get it on oh. Kindle now, but that's it. Talking about that afterwards. So you, but you've got more children's books on the way. I got, yeah, I've got two more because I signed a five. I'll be honest with you about that as well. I wasn't intending to write children's books. I only work with the ideas I have. I never think, oh, I should do this for career reasons or whatever. Not again, not because I'm a good person, just because I can't do anything that isn't an idea that authentically engages me. So my son said to me one day, Dad, why doesn't Harry Potter run away from the Dursleys and try and find some better parents? And that gave me an idea, which was a world in which children can choose their own parents. That was my first one, which is called The Parent Agency. That did very well. There's a film about of it that I'm writing now for Fox. And that led to me being offered a, a big deal to do five children's books. And because I really enjoyed writing that, and because at some level... There's something brilliant about children's books, actually, which is the pure story element of it. I love the pure story element because mm. I like story. And also, I really like the fact that you're directly connected to your readers. No no child 
reads or looks at your book because they think, oh, I should have this on my dinner party table. Do you know what I mean? Or because the guardian have told me I should have it. It's very, very straightforward. They either like it or they don't. If they like it, they tell their friends. And there's something really lovely about that. And they're incredibly honest in their yeah, reviews. Really I, honest, I've read, really I've read honest. letters from children about but and they're letters that are fantastic um, uh, when they've read a book oh that they God. love and then they suggest all the storylines for uh, the next book. Yeah, yeah, and, and drawings as well. And, Kids yeah, will do drawings yeah. of all your characters. And you know what? They dress up as my characters now on World Book Day which is lovely. People send me pictures on Twitter of their kids that have made their own costumes to look yeah. like my characters. I mean, honestly, that is so... That's wonderful. ...tear-jerkingly beautiful. You're affecting them for the rest of their lives, yeah. really, because what we read as children is... Yes. It does go with And us, I think that's really it? important. I do actually think... I don't have much in the way of, you know, I, I'm just a bloke who gets it wrong with children. You know, I try... My own children are great, but I often think, like, you're supposed to know what you're doing as parents, and I probably don't. But I do think that teaching kids the value of story and storytelling and narrative is really important. Mm. And also, you've been you direct quite a bit too, don't you? So little, no, a little bit, not much. Actually, I'd like to do more of that. Actually, I've directed yeah, a few okay. things on TV, uh, and I co-directed my. I, I made a film called The Infidel, which I didn't direct. Actually, I wrote it, but then there was a musical of that at mm. Stratford. Uh, East and, and I directed co- I directed that, that co-directed it with Kerry, who is the uh, artistic director of Stratford East, and the Norris McWhorter Chronicles. Oh, <laughs> I'm surprised you brought that up. Uh, that's uh, I did a thing. Sky did a thing called Christmas Crackers about four years ago. Oh, I remember My, that. Yes, I remember uh, in that. which comedians. Yes. <laughs> comedians did autobiographical stories that they directed and wrote and directed. And the thing is, when I wrote my... I didn't realise that it was meant to be Christmassy. I mean, I knew it was called Christmas Crackers, but I didn't realise... But you didn't think that 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 meant anything to do with Christmas. (laughs) I didn't really. I ended up (laughs) saying Merry Christmas in it right at the end, but it really nothing to do with Christmas. It was about when (laughs) Norris McWhorter came to my school, and if anyone remembers Norris McWhorter... Yes. Well, you do, I do, but he was a bloke on a show called Record Breakers. It was the Guinness Book of Records. It was him and his twin brother. Uh, yeah, his twin brother who was one? called Norris Ross. Mm. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And they were, they used to be on this programme, Record Breakers, talking to a guy called Roy Castle about mm. all the records. But, and I used to love that show when I was a kid. Then he came to my school and then it turned out that Norris McWhorter was also part of this thing called the Freedom Association, which was a kind of uh, upmarket, very right-wing organisation that very much believed that the freedom of the individual was the most important thing. It was kind of pro-apartheid, very anti-trade union. That's all he spoke about for half an hour. And the, I mean, you have to see the the little film, but the little film is about the fact that during this thing, it's full of kids who all had come because of record breakers. I became worried that someone was going to put their hand up at the end and say, what's the biggest fish? And that would be really embarrassing. (laughs) But that isn't what happens. And you have to go and watch the thing. It's on Sky. It's on uh, YouTube somewhere uh, to see what actually happened. And it turned into a sort of political rally. Well, something very very surreal happens. odd. Yes. Now, you appear as a panellist on lots of Mm. television, Mm. comedy shows. Mm. How do you get on with the sort of competitive nature of comedy? I hate that. Because it sounds to me like you're not... I really hate that. Yeah. And uh, when you say I appear on lots of uh, panel shows, you're right, I have done virtually all of them in my time, uh, but I don't like them. <laughs> I'm talking myself out of work here. Uh, but I, I don't like that aspect of them. I, I really... I actually stopped doing them uh, about four years ago. I've come. I've started doing them again recently. Uh, but I was on an edition of Cats Does Countdown. No, I wasn't. I was on an edition of 8 Out of 10 Cats before it became that. Before. I was on an edition of 8 Out of 10 Cats and I was sitting there thinking, it is like six blokes, and they were all blokes, fighting in a car park for I'm the funniest, no, you're the funniest, no, he's the funniest, or whatever. And I just thought, I don't want to do that. Why am I doing this? Uh, and also, comedy, particularly as I get older, 
and I want to do a particular type of comedy is, and this sounds very pretentious, but it is true. It's kind of a fragile ecosystem. It's like it's only you know if you want to do something authentic, you can't really do that in little bits uh, on a panel show very easily. And so I stopped doing it for a bit. And then I came back to doing it. I did QI, which is slightly different. Uh, it's a bit more like you can talk and you can actually improvise and extrapolate mm. a comic idea for a bit longer. And since then, I've done a, I've done a few. But I do sometimes think uh, I, I just want to be able to do the kind of comedy I want to do rather than have to fit it into a small little sound bitey box. But also, I suppose that, that comes with kind of agent experience that mm. you're not being offensive but you're not 20 no, so, no, so not you offensive. know and which is when the when the, the you know young ones probably feel they have to do that in yeah. fact because your last show before this one was about fame it was yeah and about how that affects you i mean you've been famous for a very long time yeah. well that show was really about uh well it was uh, both of my shows are actually storytelling shows at heart uh, this show is about all the most absurd things that my parents did in their failure to be what we would now consider to be model parents. And that show is about all the most absurd and ridiculous things that have happened to me as a result of being a bit more visible than other people. And to some extent, it was about how what happens is, and it's a particular, particular problem for me when I like to feel that I'm authentic and real and whatever, there's a version of me out there that is not authentic and real. And no matter what you do that happens as a result of you being on the telly or whatever. There will be this other idea of you. Um, and that becomes, I mean, not just that I am actually mistaken for other people quite a lot. I am regularly oh, for mistaken for Ben Elton. Regularly, uh -huh. uh, there, there, there's a big story in that show about how I was mistaken for Ian Brody, the lead singer of The Lightning Seeds. Uh, that, uh, that was kind of a key thing because, of course, I did a song with him, a football song with him. But I was mistaken for him after he once disrupted a Peter Gabriel concert. And Peter Gabriel's a big hero of mine. So that was kind of uh, complicated uh, and people like that uh, I, a man recently um, this wasn't in the show but a man I don't think I can say this on the radio but a man shouted a <laughs> he shouted an insult at me and he called me a bleep you BBC bleep and I thought that's a weird thing why is he shouting that at me because I haven't I, don't, I have worked for the BBC but I don't think of myself as a BBC employee then I thought he thinks I'm Alan Yentop Oh, yeah. oh, I, yeah, right. Uh, no, I'm sure that's what he thought. I mean, it's a, a, all, apologies to Alan. I'm so sorry that he shouted that because he thought it was you, but I think that must have been it. But see, people do have an idea, don't they, that if, if you're on the telly, they think they know you. Yeah. And and you're married to Moana Banks, mm. also famous. So uh, probably people imagine that life in your house is just a laugh a minute. It's constant well, funny banter. Well, that isn't that untrue. I mean, we do, I think it's a very important part of a relationship, mm. I, I would almost suggest it might be the most important part of a relationship. You know, one of the things about my parents' generation, to go back to my show, is I don't think that generation in general, it's very unfair to some of them, but I don't think when they got together, they particularly thought about, do we get on as friends? They just got married or whatever mm. and had children or whatever they did. And my parents were not in any way compatible. Now, I would say the key way in which you can tell whether you are compatible with someone is whether or not you laugh at the same mm. things. And me and Mawena very much do. I mean, she's a hilariously funny woman. I mean, I know obviously we know that because of her career, but I know that in a very deep way. And I don't think it's possible to be with someone for any in any long-term way unless you laugh at the same things. Oh, yes, I think obviously that's, that's true. And, and laughter is incredibly important. I just think that people think with comedians that they are... On being funny all the time. Yeah, well, that is true. And obviously, that's not true. That's that true. That presumably, quite a lot of the time, you're not laughing. <laughs> no, no, that's breakfast true. Breakfast is quite no, ordinary. No, that's true. true. <laughs> although, although, although it is, you know, because my children are pretty funny. 
Uh, they're both really funny. Well, that's no uh, surprise. You know, actually, My parents I, like that. Well, I, well, they, I talk, but I talk in the show about uh, Ezra in particular. My son, who uh, Dolly's really funny as well. My daughter, but Ezra is like does jokes, uh, and uh, I think it was that was interesting for me because I think there's this notion I talk about in the show that damage. Childhood damage leads to you being a comedian. Mm-hmm. And because me and Morwenna are not like my parents, we spend all our time thinking, oh, we must try our best not to in any way damage our children in a very neurotic, perhaps Jewish way. At one point, I started thinking, but then they won't be funny. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be terrible. So I've been monitoring Ezra, and he is funny. So it turns out... He so maybe you're worried he's now be damaged. Well, but- well yeah. I, I think you get funnier when you're around funny people. I, hope I think so. you do yeah. learn to be funny. Yes. I think if you are around really funny people, yeah. you become funnier. Yeah. You, well, actually, you pick my dad. Up how they do it. My dad was is even with dementia a funny person, and he was not a good dad in loads of ways. But I definitely owe him that, and I definitely think one of the reasons I love my dad, despite all the bad dadness he got, is to do with him being a really funny bloke. Mm. So back to the theatre now, and your show runs until June the third. Mm, it's a long so time. We've got it's two. Yes, I've done two weeks a of a ten-week run. Okay. So, and what are the plans for it after that? Uh, the plans at the moment are Broadway is a possibility, which is amazing yeah, and that strange. Would be fantastic. Uh, yeah, it would be fantastic. I mean, uh, you know, it's a long haul Broadway because I'd be doing off Broadway and then Broadway, hopefully. But uh, that would be great because one thing I am getting a slight sense of is that Americans like the show, because one about doing the West End mm-hmm. is that Americans come. So Americans have no idea who I am. I've never done anything proper in America, apart from the old, you know, club gig there. And uh, But it doesn't, doesn't matter. This show is not dependent in any way on knowing who and I am. Who you are, yeah. yeah. And, and I've noticed in the audience a lot of Americans, and I think they're just telling each other, because the show is quite... Um, Jewish, not in the sense of being in any way religious, but just in the sense of like it's very expressive and very about, you know, family and uh, it has got a therapeutic element and whatever. And so from that point of view, to be a bit cliched, the kind of New York-y element of it feels like it might work. And might fit knows? in there quite yeah. well. So you describe yourself as an atheist Jew. Yes, that's that, correct. That, so you, and yes. I also say in the show that's a combination only available to Jews, which is true. Although sometimes people write to me on Twitter and say, well, I'm a Catholic... I was brought up Catholic, but now I'm an atheist. Does that make me a Catholic atheist? And it might do. I don't really know. But I do know very much that loads and loads of Jewish people uh, are don't believe in God, but very much consider themselves to be Jewish because it's part and parcel really of being culturally Jewish. To be aware of anti-Semitism is something that you continually have, whether or not you believe in Jehovah. Uh, and also you feel very connected. So I, what I said, I said at the show the other day, someone tried to get me to explain that, a Jewish person. And I said, well, look, put it like this. I don't believe in God. I very much believe in Larry David. Right. Uh-huh. And, and do you think that you and how, how did you bring up your children? Uh, she asked, she of, asked me that as well. Uh, I'm so <laughs> no, dull. No, 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 no. A question. no, no. But I love the fact that you asked me that because she was like this very big Jewish woman in the audience who was incredibly worried about that. Um, I have brought up my children. Uh, I've told them I don't believe in God, and I, as far as I can make out, neither, neither of them do at the moment. But Morwenna is Catholic and also doesn't believe in God, but very much has got if you go to her study, for example, there's lots of crosses and pictures of Jesus that are there, not in a, I believe in this way, but she likes the iconography and the the aesthetic. Um, And we do Christmas and we do Hanukkah. And neither of those things we do because we believe in the deity behind them, but it's a laugh. I think probably common to a lot of people as we have Easter approaching. 
And, yeah, well, we uh, do yeah. a bit of Passover as well. Do you do, yeah. you do that too? Yeah, yeah. just throw them all in. Yeah. I think we should all celebrate everything and just yeah. have like 28 bank holidays. Yeah. That's basically my theory of yeah. it. Anyway, well, David Baddiel, thank you so much for, for, for coming in. Thank you, um, I am definitely going to yeah, see you your must. show because Please everybody do. is talking about it. Thank and, you. Um, Please and come. If, I think you will enjoy it from what yeah, you've told me. I, I know I will enjoy <laughs> it. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm Alice Arnold, and that was the Musicals and Theatre Podcast. If you enjoyed that, then you can hear me every Saturday and Sunday morning from 6 till 10 on Mellow Magic, where I have lots of lovely, timeless, relaxing classics, musical numbers and interviews. 